You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi. This is podcast episode number 1,212. This is interview number 1,525 for those of you keeping score at home. Blue Ocean Strategy, or known as the acronym BOS, is one of the most popular innovation business theories over the past 15 years, and the only one with tools, methodology, and processes to help executives like you create uncontested growth. Brian Gladden of Strategy and Innovation Institute is a leading expert on the Blue Ocean Strategy, and his research has made significant strides within. I've asked him to come on. I've seen him present to a room full of CEOs. I was taken by his messaging. I said, you got to come down here and share that message with our audience. Come down here, he did. Brian, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. I am excited to be here. And uh, same to you. I mean, obviously, you commanded the room when we were together. So I appreciate it. We the shared the stage, as they say. So uh, he's, a, he's a presenter within the Renaissance Executive Forum system of Craig Hetrick who's our business partner in Sacramento, had us up in Tahoe for a great day, day and a half of learning with business owners. But let's come back to you and what you do. Why do firms, middle market firms, companies that listen to Critical Mass Radio Show and podcast, need to innovate, Brian Gladden? Yeah, that is the key question. So going back to you know decades, the father of most management consulting, Drucker, Peter Drucker, or anybody else, Accenture, any of the new consulting firms, any studies you read out there, it's all about if you don't innovate, you're going to become obsolete. Mm-hmm. You're going to die. Okay, I mean, look at Blockbuster and Compact and uh, Kodak, and you can go on and on about all the companies, right, that have not innovated and have right. died. Right. So every business, profit, nonprofit, doesn't matter, every vertical industry has to innovate to grow, or you're basically stagnant, you're going to be passed up and die. Okay, so I get it. And technology only exaggerates that dilemma, right? Because Ab- technology can be the mass disruptor and innovator. Either, But you don't have to just have technology to innovate, correct? Absolutely. So it, people, especially Silicon Valley, where I'm in Northern Cal, yeah. everything thinks technology, which is great because it's an enabler, as you mentioned. It's a tool to drive innovation. But invention is not innovation. Technology invention just is because, oh, we can do something, let's make it doesn't right. mean there's any value to the end user, which is innovation is value. So, okay. yeah, to your point, technology is now exponentially making it easier for people to disrupt or compete mm-hmm. faster and faster internet all over the world. So if you're not innovating using technology, you're probably getting left behind. And it seems, um, based on my experience working with business owners for the last 11 years and being in the corporate world for 20-some years before that, that... The natural tendency for organizations is away from innovation, culturally. Like, we get the systems in place, we work hard to get processes, and man, don't mess with what's working. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I've worked for many Fortune 50 companies, so I get it. You get, this is what we do, here's our market, we've got structure and process and organizational things in place. Now let's just go out and deliver to our customers, and then we get myopic, right? You don't see everything out there. You don't see the forest for the trees. Right. And so that's exactly what happens. People, oh, I want to innovate. I mean, everybody we've talked to, everybody wants to innovate. They get excited when you say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. 
than it's day-to-day life. And whether it's business or parenting, you're like, oh, I, I want to do this, but you know, I just can't, don't have time. Brian, and we're talking with Brian Gladden, is it your experience that scale works against innovation? That's my bias. The bigger you get, the harder it is to maintain an innovative spirit, which is why many times large companies get taken out by two guys in a garage. Or... Sure. So in that perspective, yeah. And we, when we talk about innovation theories, you're talking about disruptive innovation, which uh, Christensen coined you know, years ago, same kind of time frame as Blue Ocean Strategy, which is if you're going to be a small guy and get into a market on the low end, you're going to disrupt the big guys, hence Kodak and Compaq and other companies, Blockbuster, right? Right. right. But the problem is when you're the big guy, you don't want to disrupt yourself. You'll lose, you'll fail in the same industry. So it's hard when you're making tons of money and the shareholders, it's all about how your quarterly earnings did, right? That's what stock stock market. It's all about Wall Street. And I got to hit my numbers. Yeah, I don't want right. to rock the boat. Right. Can't take a risk. Yeah. So I don't want to innovate. Maybe I'll create a little group over here who does incubation and innovation, but they're not really tied to the core business. Right. It usually doesn't work. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll invest in that. Well, you know, you've used Kodak a couple of times and there, I, wrote a, I wrote about them and talked about them in my talk in my book. I mean, the challenge is you couldn't replace the impact of film with a digital platform. So even if they, even though they had the innovations inside their shop, they couldn't figure out how to monetize it because right. it would blow their business model to hell and back. Right, right. So they licensed third parties to innovate their tech, to invent off of the, in, the innovations that they came up with. Yeah, so lots of stories uh, and, and use cases like you mentioned that when you're big, it's hard to, to pivot. You're right. not as flexible. You're not as nimble. Little guys is easier. But you know, on the flip side, the bigger guys have the resources and the assets, the money. So you can innovate and take risks, but you don't want to. It's just human nature. It's culture. Well, they talk about the story of Steve Jobs and seeing the window-based GUI interface at Xerox Park in, in Northern California. And Xerox had this beautiful tool that he realized the value of it and was able to create the user experience that we all know now with the mouse-driven GUIs. And there was a large company that had the invention, the innovation, but they couldn't figure out how to bring it into the market. Yeah, and that goes back to some of these other innovation theories like business model, right? You mentioned business model. So business model, canvas, business model innovation is key. I mean, you can have the greatest idea or invention, but if your current business is completely different, you know, if you're a brick-and-mortar retail shop and now all of a sudden you want to be a, uh, an online player or an OEM, that's your business model is out of a line. You're probably going to fail at whatever you're going to do. Right. Okay, so I'm walking all over the questions that we have That's all good. <laughs> I like it. So for the first five minutes, I've just blown out the whole, the whole <laughs> script. But we'll get, we'll get back to the script. Let me, let me get back to the script because there's a lot of good content that we can get to here. What is Blue Ocean's? So let's go back to the start. What is Blue Ocean Strategy? So Blue Ocean Strategy is one of the leading innovation methodologies and frameworks created by professors Kim and Malburn from NCAD Business School, so one of the leading business schools. They created this in 2004, and right around the time in uh, Christensen's disruptive theory and a few others. So there's only been a few really high-level leading innovation theories that have structure and process around them. And to me, Blue Ocean Strategy is the only one that has a really deep framework of processes. And how do you get from an idea to actually some innovation, right? Most of the time we read these books and everybody gets excited, you know, bestseller, and you're like, oh, this company did this, and Apple did this, or Amazon did this. And they're all use cases or case studies, but there's no prescription. How do I do it? Well, the, Kim and Malburn created Blue Ocean Strategy, these tools, and now there's an online platform that take you through it. And so I've actually become an expert in those methodologies and frameworks and tools to help other businesses do that. I mean, people can do it on their own. It's like being an accountant. You can 
CPA do it yourself or hire someone to do it, but right. there's a process there, right? So it's all about that roadmap. How do I do this? So the tools are there. So I've basically become now a, a, an expert in that as well as other methods that can add on to Blue Ocean Strategy and augment okay. the theory. So what was the origin of the name? Blue Ocean Strategy. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I won't uh, pretend I know exactly where it came from, but the whole theory is about red oceans versus blue oceans. Which are? Okay. What's so a, a red ocean is the, the normal business we all, we all compete in an industry, right? Our business, we're attacking each other. It's bloody waters. It's yeah, like, all these you know, shark attacks. I'm thinking, oh my attacks, God, right? don't want to be in the water with that. Yeah. So any, any lose a leg. Right. Any industry we're in, we're, we're competing uh, and, you know, in theory, we're, we're, you know, making the waters bloody with our competition, you know, blood or our blood. Yeah. And so Blue Ocean, Kim and Marburn said, let's create something that's, there's no one there. There's no competition. It's peaceful space. Oh. It's Blue Ocean. Oh, it's tranquil. Set to yeah, sail and tack to your... Just, yeah. yeah, I don't oh have to worry gosh. about anything, right? Let's all go. I want that. Me too. So since 15 years now, the Blue Ocean strategy has been accepted and adopted by a lot of different companies. I'm wondering if you could just... Give me some examples of companies that have looked at Blue Ocean Strategy as a way to innovate. Yeah, absolutely. Some of my favorite ones that uh, they've actually done case studies on, some great YouTubes out there, and my website, I, I link to Kim and Auburn. I don't want to pretend I'm taking credit for that, but okay. just so I can help people understand how to do it. One of the favorite ones is Nintendo Wii. So you and I are not the age of p uh, typical gamers, right? I don't know if you're a gamer. No. I'm not much of a gamer either, no. right? My two daughters, 13 and 15, are gamers. So okay. what, 12 years old to about 35 years old is your gaming market. 50-plus grandmas, grandpas are not your gamers. So Nintendo basically went out and said, how do you get people who are non-customers of a specific market, gaming, to play? Well, first you've got to observe and figure out why don't they participate in some industry, right? What do they do that is uh, either something to to take the place of that, right. other entertainment, or why can't they do whatever it is they're doing? Makes sense. And they basically observed and said the quick twitch muscles, right? You got your joystick and you're trying to jump and shoot and fire and all this stuff. Well, most of us can't compete with our kids doing that. So you're like, okay, that's way too much mm -hmm. intensity. So they said, let's just put the thing around your wrist. We've all played Wii, yes. which is what they came up with. So how do we make a lower impact to get now tennis or yoga or your can bowl, right? You can shoot baskets with it. So you can play with your grandkids. They had a huge spike in non-customers, non-gamers. Now, so that's the blue entering. ocean. Then that's the blue ocean, and all blue ocean is about is finding commonalities in non-customers. So people who are not in your industry, okay. non-disruptive. But if you're, if our industry is gaming, and you're like, okay, here's the piece of the pie. I either have to grow the pie, everybody grows, or I have to take right. some from you. Right. Well, Blue Ocean says, well, no. What are things? Why don't you and I? Why doesn't Rick and Brian participate? Let's change the value curve. Let's so grow the pie. Well, it's 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 really augment. It's almost adjacent. Like, okay, I'm okay. going to bring in Grandma and Grandpa, Rick and Brian. They've never been in this market. They're non-customers. Okay. I've got to change the value curve. What am I offering to them? Now it's a form factor. I've changed the form factor. So that's, that's I've eliminated the quick twitch, right. and I've added this thing around my wrist. So I've changed the whole dynamic. And it's a blue ocean, for one, because it's non-customers now becoming customers. Correct. And your competition initially may not have an answer for what you've done. Exactly. Because they're there's, not looking at those people as prospects. Absolutely. There's there's no one doing what you're doing. Top golf's my other favorite example. Okay. So I think we, you know, we're up where I live, literally a mile away, is the only top golf in California now. But probably you've, you've played there, yeah. been there. Yeah. Most people who go to Top Golf, if you've been, you can you you can literally view and see they're not golfers, right? <laughs> they're not golfers. 
They don't okay. go because they're golfers. Right. So Top Golf basically looked at the golf market. You have courses, private or public, and you have driving ranges. That's your golf market, besides the actual hardware. Yes. So they said, how do you get people who aren't golfers to golf? Well, you have to change the value proposition. Okay. Okay. So they said, what do we have to eliminate? Well, first of all, people don't want to bring their own balls and clubs that aren't golfers. They don't have any. Yeah. And second, you don't want to spend five hours on a golf course when you don't know how to play golf. So they basically took, say, a driving range type of uh, environment. Right. But they said, what do we need to change to get people to come? Well, it's about fun. It's about excitement. It's about gaming, right? So they added gamification. They added night play. They added music. And most importantly, they raised the element of quality food and beverage. Yes. So Blue Ocean Strategy is about eliminating certain things, reducing other factors. Eliminating the things that are either constraints or aren't valued to the next customer. Exactly. That okay. aren't valued. So they might be valued to the current market. Oh, sure. Yeah. Look at the, the beauty course I'm playing. There I you go. Paid. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm a golfer. But Pelican to Hill. Non, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. To non-golfers, right. though, they could care less about five-hour round in 40 acres and, you know, uh, you're by paying I-2s or whatever it is. <laughs> right. So they said, let's add these other things, change the value curve, and now you get 42% of the 10 million customers to Top Golf last year consider themselves non-golfers. Wow. So you've you've been, you've had a no, whole new market of 42% right. non-customers. And there's nothing that the established golf courses can do necessarily to change to attract that person because no, they're not a golfer. Market. That's yeah. not their market. It's not, yeah, so there so it's a blue ocean it's, because Absolutely. You've come up with the innovation, and you've attracted clients. Yeah, you've figured out commonalities that would attract someone who otherwise wouldn't do that. And will it be Blue Ocean forever? No, of course not. It's a couple of years, someone else will well, create the, the same idea, thing. Right? Yeah. yeah, right. But you have this now have a window. Right, you get got a window of opportunity. Right. And innovation, to me, is continuous. And that's one of the next questions that's obvious. was like, well, gee, what, how long are you going to be this Blue Ocean by yourself? Could be six months, could be six years. You don't know. Right. But, but you got first mover advantage. Exactly. And it's like, I say innovations like cybersecurity. You don't put a firewall in and now you're done with security. Yeah. Right? Amen. We're done. Yeah. yeah that, no, tomorrow it's obsolete. It's same with innovation. You don't just say, oh, we innovated. Well, no, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's a process. Like going to the gym. I went to the gym last year. I'm good. I'm done. Right. No, it's, yeah. you go to go all the time. It's a process. And then that suck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So... It's, it's a cultural thing, then, innovation. Yes, because you've got to have a process. You've got to have structure around it, just like HR, finance processes, organizational processes that you teach in Renaissance. All these things were decades and decades. We have these processes for everything else in the business. And you know, as you attest and know very well, you help the smaller businesses, especially who might not have those other folks, to build these business processes. Right. Most folks, even the large ones, don't have the innovation processes built in because, as you pointed out, you don't want to disrupt yourself. It's usually about ideation. Oh, I came up with this cool idea. Then you put it on paper and you put it in the drawer and you're like, hey, <laughs> did we do that business plan last year? No, let's, no, let's pull it out and try it again because yeah. it's not ingrained in the culture. It's yeah. not uh, from the top down. I was going to ask you, is yeah, this, this is a tone down. at the top? Thing, yeah, it's got to right? be top down. Um, you, your objectives... Your, your key results, you know, which is the new kind of hot button on measurement OKRs out there in the marketplace, um, uh, which we might get back to, is... I don't you, know. Uh, you've I'll got, try. Okay. You've got, to, you've got to align it with the CEO's vision and mission for the company and what you're trying to accomplish. If it's just a one-off, then it's probably not going to work. But if you're going to grow your business, you can either acquire companies, you increase your sales, hire new guys, increase the pipeline, sales coaching, or you can innovate. 
and create new market space. Right. But that's just something that people haven't understood. How do I do it besides just a cool Do people idea. ever go to you, Brian Gladden, how, how do I put structure around innovation? Innovation is this squish, squishy thing that's inspired. Yeah. And, uh, it seems like it's counterintuitive. It seemed that way, but no. So the first thing you got to do, and Kim and Malburn on their uh, kind of process, is where am I now? So any good theory, you got to figure out where am I now? How do I compete with people in my market space? And what are those competing factors? So Topgolf, you compete on you know, time and price and food and beverage and things like that. Like Pelican Hill, okay, I'm going to go there versus a muni course that's on price. So right. everybody has price. So you got to figure out, am I a me too? When you draw, you know, gee, I'm better at customer service. So, well, they have more retail stores, but I have more products. And you map it out and you basically figure out in most businesses, your value curve line's kind of the same. You're kind of overlapping each other and you kind of go, wow, I thought I was really, really good, but eh, kind of like a me too. Right. And then it's on relationships, and right. which is the norm for selling. So you got to figure out where you're at and then figure out what can I potentially change, eliminate, reduce, raise to create something new, but that's just the first step. Then it's, all right, how do I actually create a value and confirm that someone wants this? So you've got to get out in the market, ask people, real customers or prospects, gee, is there value in creating this area of top golf where you could come and have fun and listen to music and have, would you do it? Right. Versus put it on a business plan, which a lot of people do, startups, and you get some money, but you never even ask the customer or potential customers in the market, do you care about this? So that's the second you biggest piece. Gotta find the market. Gotta, yeah, there's gotta be value. Otherwise, it's just invention and there's no purpose to it. Right. So then you look across, gee, adjacent markets. You know, what are adjacent markets doing that we might have some play in? Are there commonalities? Um, or what do people do instead of going to dinner? Well, they go to the movies. So there is time and money where people are spending things that you might say, gee, am I doing something that could draw those folks. Right. So that's just an example of how like Top Golf might have looked so, at. So it. I would think that Top Top Golf is really looking at competing for entertainment dollars, Absolutely. not golf related dollars. Absolutely. Right? It's just a delivery system for entertainment. I'm giving you an experience yep. and it just happens to be you're hitting the ball and you're playing a game and maybe you know you compete a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Those are the commonalities for a lot of those 42%, right, okay. is I'll, I'll go hang out with my friends who do like to golf, but yeah. I don't care if I hit the ball straight. Right. We're having fun. I'm having a couple of drinks, maybe, yeah. and eating some good food and listen to great music, and we had a fun time, and we just happened to be golfing. We could have gone bowling. Exactly. We could have gone dancing. We could have gone fill in the blank. Absolutely. So, and so really, when, you, when you're innovating in that way, you're really looking at new income streams than what the industry traditionally has depended on to kind of survive. Yeah, absolutely. And I say most listeners out there, if they're whatever industry you're in, you right off the top of your head, if you said, gee, what are the the most common complaints that you get in your industry? Gee, I wish your industry could mm. do this or your business and everybody goes, Oh, well yeah, I get this all the time, one, two yeah, or three, right? That, yeah. And you whether it's you don't have the funding or the technology or the resource of people to fix that, those are opportunities. So Blue Ocean Strategy, basically, there's three, back to your question, three things to look at. Perspective is number one. Perspective is interesting because we're all in this view of our current business, whatever that business right, is, right? Right, So it's – and if you – look outside the forest for the trees, you see opportunities that are pain points for the buyer. Yes. And an example I do when we do these talks is you bought a red Porsche yesterday 
and you might not have seen a red Porsche on the streets in months, and all of a sudden you're driving your red Porsche, <laughs> and you see five red Porsches, yeah, right? And you're yeah. like, but now you're aware of something different. Okay. Because you're looking for something different. If you're not looking for opportunity and innovation, you don't see the opportunity as people's pain. So whatever industry you're in, your customer has pain points, right? Whether it's pre-sales, delivery, using a product, disposing of a product. Okay. It could be your, your partners in your ecosystem. You're like, well, I just make this pen. I don't sell the pen. I don't make the ink in the pen. But what if that's what the problem is in that pen? Mm-hmm. Well, that's affecting your end user. Even though you could care less about it, it's still part of the buyer's pain point. And if you can fix that, there's potentially blue oceans there. So that buyer pain point is an opportunity. So if you do a intelligent customer listening program, you might find ideas that give you an opportunity to consider what if. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to be solely thinking it up in your little lab coats in your innovation room. If you get out in the marketplace, you can... I love the idea. If you start looking for it, you might see it. So, a teachable moment here on Critical Mass Radio Show. We love to have these moments which we gong, and so the audience knows the... (laughs) We just hit on something that Brian Gladden is sharing that I'd like to kind of come back to. So, let's have that version of the conversation again. Yeah, perspective is the first thing, and roadmap is the second, which we already talked about, and then humanness, which I'll come to, getting people involved. So perspective in Blue Ocean Strategy is all about keeping an open mind on your consumer or your potential consumer's pain points. What are things that are bothering them? Those are opportunities. Yes. So welcome I, we, them. Yes, you welcome them. Encourage them to come in. The more the more you hear, because you might just find one you can do something about. Right. The we was an example we just talked about. Right. Um, let's see. I'll give you another example. One of my favorites is oh, Dry Bar. So have you heard uh, of the uh, new salon called Dry Bar? Yeah. Why don't you point at me when you ask that question? Why well, did you, why did you point at our producer? Yeah. Most guys, I think you and I probably don't go to you okay. know the salons and get. Hey, hey. We, we might. I, I Some do these guys do. Events, you know, I, know, I like I know. to look good, but anyway. So it, what I found fascinating, it's not one of these massive companies that, you know, like Topgolf or Amazon people know about. So it's the small service-oriented one that people are, well, give me just a smaller example. So Drybar started here in Orange County, I believe. Yes. And so they basically were stylists, your hair salon, the sister brother, and said, gee, we get all these requests all the time for women who come in and like, just, hey, just fix my hair. You can just wash it and style it. I got an event today. I got a wedding. I got a party. I want to go out. I want you to make it look better than me because you're a stylist. Yeah, makes well, sense. Well, salon um, and people who are doing haircutting and, and, and stylists, they make most of their money on cuts and colors. You could spend two or three hours in the chair and yes. you spend a couple hundred bucks on a cut and a color. And they said, oh, we don't have time just to wash you and style it and blow it dry, you know, or it could take weeks to get an appointment and you just want to go pop in and 30, 40 minutes you're out. So they created Dry Bar, which basically says, hey, we don't do any cuts. We don't do any colors. Just come in, we'll shampoo it, we'll style it, blow it dry, boom, you're gone in 45 minutes. Mm. Give you some champagne, have a nice customer experience, and charge you, you know, $40 just to wash and style your hair. They have, I think, now 70 locations and $50 million wow. in the last few years. Wow. So it's just an opportunity that they, they saw because they heard. Right. right. And they were keeping an open mind that a pain point is now an opportunity. Just fill that hole. It's a new market space. It's now a, whole, a completely blue ocean. Right. Wow. And, and that's so fascinating because there's no reason why the existing salons couldn't have put a couple extra chairs in and dedicated it to that service. And they wouldn't even see it's it. It's the simplest things. Oh, my fa- this is one of my other favorite examples. I'll be brief on this one. Toilet paper. 
You're like, how do you innovate toilet paper? Yeah, how do you? It's freaking toilet paper. Right. Right. So Kimberly Clark, one of the biggest, you know, manufacturing yeah. companies in the world, they actually went through the Blue Ocean strategy, the whole YouTube on this in case study that um, Blue Ocean Institute did. The CEO of Brazil, Kimberly Clark, talked through the whole thing. And they basically said, we have 50 plus different toilet paper versions on the shelves in, in South America, Brazil, which is what they were looking at. And like, how do we differentiate ourselves? And there versus here, you have much smaller living conditions, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about not the 1% in the mansions, but the, the uh, people who live in very small, you know, one right. room house for right. a family of many people. And they don't have the big trucks like I have. They can drive to Costco and pick up a 24-pack of Charmin. You, you take public transportation, and you have to carry your groceries back, and you have a very small storage place to put your groceries and your consumables. So people didn't buy 24 packs of toilet paper down there. And so the point of sale is like you just grab something, a four-pack, that's it. So they went out in the market and said, what can we do? What's your problem when you buy toilet paper that we can change? And they basically said, well, we don't have storage. I can't buy very many. And I have, you know, the mom has got her grocery bags on the bus going to and from the store, right, to get back home. So you can only handle so many things. So they said, why don't we just push the toilet paper together? You literally got the roll and, you know, squeeze it together. Uh-huh. Well, as soon as you let go, it bounces back. Right. Right. So they did, all they did was squish the package of 24 <laughs> or 12 rolls together and saved 40% of packaging uh-huh. and space and put a little plastic handle on it so now mom can carry it. Oh, my God. So their, their, their logistics and warehousing, which yeah, is huge in, in manufacturing right. and retail, went down 18 to 20%. Wow, the shelf savings. space went down, which is gold in retail. Right. And now mom can carry it, and when she gets home, she can store it because it's 40% less storage. They became the number one sustainable supplier to Walmart globally because of that. And, oh, by the way, and they made it also eco-friendly. So now eco-friendly paper squished together. Blue Ocean. You're like, it's toilet paper. It's right. simple. Right. But nobody went out and asked the people, why can't you buy more toilet paper? So, Brian, it works for product companies. It works for service companies. It works for the companies who are looking to bring innovation in and maintain it because it, it becomes systematized. Absolutely. We're out of time. I can't believe it. We're actually over time. <laughs> I ran a little long here, ladies and gentlemen, today just because there was so much content. And we only scratched the surface, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I know you get to Southern California on occasion. We'll have to have you back to go to part two of what you had I would love to. to. Able- okay. We'll I would that. love to. All right. So, But if someone would like to learn more about what you're doing and your practice, how do they find you online, Brian? Yes. Please go to uh, www.si2, so strategy, innovation, number two. Blue, B-L-U-E, so si2blue.com. And I have to say, it's a temporary website. I'm definitely not a professional website developer, so um, I have a uh, firm developing one for me. Actually, they're a Renaissance uh, okay. uh, a member. Oh. So hopefully that will be look better very soon, but there's enough there. And there's actually uh, my phone number, my email is on there, and a download of an innovation readiness assessment that has been done by Strategizer, who created the business model canvas, so the leaders sure. in that space. Sure. So download it, see if you're innovative, and where you're at, most people are, you know, they end up, saying, no, we're not so innovative, and then give me a call, and I'll see if I can help. This certainly works for large companies, but it also, based on your story, works for small companies and, and even startup early-stage companies, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. The tools are scalable across different size organizations. Yep. Small, large, doesn't matter what vertical product service you name. Everybody has to innovate. doesn't matter. Right. All right. Well, this has been a kick in the pants. I've totally enjoyed it. Thank me you too. for your time. Thank you, Rick. I've really enjoyed it. All right. And I'm going to say thank you to Paul Roberts, who's our engineer for today's show, and our producers, without whom we could not do this show, Joan Park 
Crystal Nunley, and Nicole Terry. If you'd like to connect with me, let's do it on LinkedIn. I'm Richard Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I, and uh, we'll go from there. Until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi, 